Father, as we engage your word here, we just invite you to be the one who speaks. I appreciated so much what what our brother Dave shared about us um, being a community of people who are um, committed to the word of God being our standard and our rule. Um, And uh, we just agree with that. Everything in the flesh rebels against something that would hold us to a standard, (laughs) hold us to a place of of obedience. And yet, um, the more that we consume your word, the more that we make it a part of ourselves, the more that we spend time in it and listen uh, and engage it, really the more free we are. Um, and, and the more life <laughs> that we find ourselves, abundant life, just able to walk with you. So, God, we, we pray that this morning as we engage the word, that it would be a piece of that journey as a church and individually of, of becoming a people of the word, not where we idolize words on a page, um, far from it, but where, where we're a people who um, embody what the heartbeat of your word is, uh, which we believe is most perfectly shown through your son. Uh, Jesus. And we pray this in his mighty name. Amen. This morning we're continuing in our Advent series, uh, which is titled Remember. And this morning is Remember Mom and Dad. Anybody call your parents father or mother? Any of you do that? I doubt there would be one person in this room who said, when you see your dad, hey father. Or mother. Yeah. That's why I, I had originally put remember father and mother, and I was like, I, no, it's mom and dad. That's, that's how we talk about them. So this is just a little uh, blurb about this series. The name Zechariah, my uh, two-year-old's name is Zechariah. It's spelled like that. We call him Zach, but uh, it comes from the Hebrew word zakar, meaning remember, and the name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. And uh, our brother Brad was praying this morning about the 400 years of silence. And what, what's amazing is, who does Gabriel first show up to after the 400 years of silence? The, the priest who's named Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. Isn't that cool? The Lord remembers. And the 400 years of silence is broken when Gabriel shows up to the man whose name means God remembers. Um, the name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers all the things that he has promised to his people. God also calls his people, us, to remember the things that the Lord has done for us. Deuteronomy 6.12, which we looked at last week, it says, Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So we actually have to intentionally take care lest we forget what God's done. Because our natural tendency is to forget what God has done, unless we're intentionally setting aside time and, and events in our lives to remember. 2018 marks the 175th anniversary of Park Ford Church. As we close out our 175th year, we are setting aside time during Advent to remember what the Lord has done for us, both corporately and individually. And so each week during Advent, we're going to look at a different aspect of remembering. Last week, we looked at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Uh, the Lord tells the people to remember that he saved them out of slavery. And and that there's this theme that runs through the whole Old Testament and right on into the New Testament and into our lives, which is we are to remember that we are saved. And there's this interesting thing that happens in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says, remember that God has freed you from slavery. And then it says, fear the Lord and serve him. And then it says, the Lord your God is a jealous God. Now, when you put those three things together, something incredibly powerful happens. 
Remember God. Fear Him. The Lord your God is jealous. And what happens is this. That God's jealous love is why we have salvation. If God were not jealous for us, He would not have saved us. You know, the, the John Mark McMillan song that we sing, He is jealous for me. God is jealous for us. His love is jealous. Now, what His love is not is envious. 1 Corinthians 13, love does not envy. So what's the difference between jealous love that's good and God-honoring and envious love that's not good? And here's what, what uh, I talked about last week is that jealous love is based in fear of God and envious love is based in fear of other things. So when you're afraid of missing out, FOMO, anybody got FOMO? Everybody in our culture has FOMO, fear of missing out. When you're afraid of missing out or afraid of a lack of something in your life, then, then your love actually becomes envious. But when you're fearing not other things, but you're fearing God, then we get to 1 John 4, which says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So we're, we're fearing God, and he's saying do not be afraid, which is an interesting interplay that happens. And then our love can be jealous like his without being envious. Which is a really, really beautiful thing that the Lord desires. And the example I gave is that you might not think of jealousy as a good thing, but it's a very good thing uh, theologically and spiritually in our relationship. And think about the relationship between a husband and a wife. Your love better be jealous. My love for my wife is a jealous love. And her love for me is a jealous love. And my love for my children is a jealous love. And, that, and that's God-honoring. Not, I'm not saying it's envious. I'm saying it's jealous. So that's what we talked about last week. And uh, this morning, we're, we're looking at what it means to remember mom and dad, mother and father. So in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is where the Ten Commandments are. In verse 16, one of the Ten Commandments says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. This word uh, that's translated as honor comes from the Hebrew word, and it looks like it's kabod, but it's, I think, pronounced kaved. Kaved? Everybody say kaved. Yeah, and, and this is so interesting. If you get one thing out of this morning, this is the thing to get. What, what this word means, the root of it is heaviness, to be heavy, to be weighty. It can be negative, where it, it's grievous, it, where it grieves, like a heaviness that's like grieving. It's, it, could be, it could mean hard, like a heaviness that's hard-hearted or difficult. It can also mean richness, like a heaviness that's like wealthy, like gold. It can mean honorable, be glorious, be burdensome, be honored. So this word, which in Deuteronomy is translated as honor your father and your mother, the root of it means heaviness. So what's so interesting, you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Not a place that we would typically think to honor, right? In Sodom and Gomorrah, um, after, after the interesting conversation with Abraham, when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, when he's explaining why he destroyed it, he says it's because their sin is kaved. Their sin is heavy. He uses that same word. 
Isn't that interesting? The same word that's used to describe how we are to treat our father and mother is used about the sin and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So how can that be? How, how is that possible? So, um, and this is the thing, I think, for us this morning, is that we, what it means, part, part of what it means to honor spiritual authority and honor our, our moms and dads is this, is that this is not to be treated lightly. This relationship, no matter how good or bad your parents were, how, how many mistakes they made or didn't make, that this thing is to be treated with great weight. It's a weighty relationship. So look back. Let's go back to Deuteronomy uh, 5 for a second. With that in mind, let's read this again. Just take a moment. With that, with that idea of honoring, treating it with weight, like not lightly. Think about this again. Honor, treat this relationship with great weightiness, not fickleness, not lightness. Treat it with the weight that it deserves. Honor, it's heavy your father, and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I think for all of us, we can hopefully relate to that, that our relationship with our parents, good or bad, or a mixture, is a heavy thing. I don't know that any of us can say, well, it didn't matter at all, one way or the other. Like, the, the, our parents hold so much influence over who we become and how we're shaped and the experiences we have. It's a heavy relationship, and God says, treat it as such. Now, this is a good word for us here in 2018 in America because we're living in a time and a place and a culture that treats authority and treats uh, parents with anything but weightiness, Right? We, uh, there's so much in pop culture that says, you know, do it your own way, go your own way, be free, forget the past, uh, be free from all that, don't, don't be weighty. But, but God's commandment, one of the, one of the heartbeats, the, the ancient commandments, Ten Commandments, is treat this thing with weight. Now, in the New Testament, um, it's, this verse is quoted a number of times by Jesus and Matthew. It's quoted a couple of times in Luke. It's quoted... And then uh, Paul quotes it in Ephesians chapter 6, which we'll look at in a minute. And the word that's, that they use in the Greek, um, it, it means it's a closer relation to how we would use the English word for honor. So it means to esteem, to fix a value for something, to honor, to hold in honor, to revere, and to, to venerate. But I really, I really felt like for us today that, that concept of weightiness was really important for us to understand when it comes to honoring, that, that part of what it means to honor is to consider something weighty. So here's what, here's what Paul says. He writes in Ephesians chapter 6, and it's, uh, he talks about husbands and wives and servants and masters and different relationships. And when he gets to uh, children and their parents, he quotes, of course, from the Ten Commandments, and then he adds a couple pieces. He says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
So what does it mean to honor? What does it mean to hold this thing with weight? Well, part of that is you obey. You obey. So teenagers in this room, kids in this room, part of what it means for you to honor your parents, a major part of what it means to honor your parents is that you would walk in obedience. Obey your mom and dad. Then he quotes, he says in verse 2, Honor your father and your mother. And then this is the first commandment with a promise. So there's the promise that's attached to it. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So the, the promise is if you honor your mom and dad, if you honor your mother and father, then you're going to live a long life and dwell in the land. But then he adds this piece. He goes beyond just what the Ten Commandments were. And now he puts responsibility back on the father and the, and the mom and dad. And so he adds this. He says, fathers, but fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And what's so interesting about this is the first part would have been common sense in that culture, but this would have been an incredibly radical statement, particularly in that cultural context, because children were considered objects, um, to, and you could do with them what you desired. Um, and, and fathers certainly had the prerogative and the right to beat them or, or uh, treat them however they saw fit. But Paul, filled with the Spirit of God, walking in step with Jesus, says that is not how fathers are to treat their children. So even though you have the right to do that, in Christ, you actually don't. So yes, your children are to respect you and honor you and obey you. But dads and moms, this is how you are to treat your children with that great authority that God has given you. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So the question for fathers and mothers, including myself here this morning, is what does it mean to bring our children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord? What's that look like? How does God discipline you? How does he instruct you? How does he instruct and discipline me? I'm to raise my children, you're to raise your children, your grandchildren, wherever you're at in life, in the exact same way that God brings discipline and instruction in your life. Well, what are the defining characteristics of God? It's love, patient, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast loving kindness, merciful, gracious. These are the defining characteristics of God and the defining characteristics of how God disciplines and instructs. So fathers and mothers are to do the same thing. All right, now I'm going to pull in a couple of... um, a couple of things that seem to contradict these two statements, but also from, from the New Testament. And I want to hold these things in tension this morning. So we have this picture of children obey your parents and honor your mother and father. Fathers, be gentle towards your children. Raise them up in the same way that, that the Lord disciplines and instructs. Jesus says a couple of things that redefine family. <laughs> and one of them is very famous, unless you hate your mother, father, wife, child. So what, how do we... How do we marry those two things together? Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and father, take up your cross and follow me. You have no part in me. And yet one of the Ten Commandments is honor your mother, your father, and your mother. So I want to look at the, the tension between those two things and explore that a little bit. So in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to a group of people. 
And it says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. And then you'll notice it skips from 46 to 48. And yes, I can count. And no, I did not skip a verse. Um, It's one of those places in the New Testament where manuscripts disagree about, about what there is. So if you open your Bible to Matthew 12, there probably will not be a verse 47. Uh, in there, which is interesting. And what it is in, in the manuscripts where that verse does exist, it's just a restatement of 46. So it's the same verse repeated, basically. So while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, He said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is a radical redefinition of family. It's an incredibly different understanding uh, of family than the typical understanding, the traditional understanding of my family is who I'm, Uh, related to. Jesus says, whoever's doing the will of God is my family. I've heard people speak on this passage and pull out extremes, like this is Jesus's rejection of the family unit. Okay, no, I don't don't believe that that's true. Uh, What I believe is happening is, is Jesus is playing with this idea and expanding it and shaping it so that we might understand it better. Jesus clearly doesn't reject loving his physical family. I mean, think about one of his final statements on the cross. He looks down at his mom, right? His physical mom, Mary, who's there, and what does he say to her? He provides for her in the moment of his death. He looks at his mom, and then he looks at the disciple whom he loved, John, and he says, behold your son, woman, behold your son, and then he says to John, behold your mother, And then there's this little note that John says, um, and so he took care of her. She came to live with him from that point forward. Jesus clearly loved his physical family, his his mom, his dad, his brothers. Um, One of the people that Jesus appeared to in his resurrection was his brother James, who wrote the book of James. This was not the disciple James, the brother of John. This was Jesus' half-brother, James, who became one of the pillars of the Jerusalem church. This was his, in the flesh, physical bloodline brother. So Jesus is not completely rejecting the family. Rather, what he's saying is, yes, that's my mom. Yes, those are my brothers. But they're not my only mom and brothers. Because in the family of God, whoever's walking with the Lord in obedience, in step with God as father, is also my mom and my dad, and my sister, and my brother. For those of us who get to experience that, that is an unbelievable blessing. That is an incredible blessing. I've spent the majority of my life living far away from my physical family. Sometimes really, really far. Thousands of miles far. And yet, I've never for a moment lacked from mothers and fathers brothers and sisters, because of how God brings spiritual family together. I don't have any physical brothers. 
I always wanted a brother. I have two sisters. They're awesome. I love my sisters. I never, I never had brothers, though, and I always wanted brothers. And, and what I've learned throughout my life is that I do. I have tons of brothers. There's so many people that I, I consider brothers and absolutely as close as it would ever be, uh, even if it was a birth brother, uh, beca- because of this, this dynamic. Okay, so we, we hold this intention with, with the honor your father and mother. And then I want to add this, and this is where, like, how do you wrap your mind around this? In Luke 14, it says in verse 25, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, and I just really like this image, so if you're reading along and picturing it in your mind, so he's, the idea is he's walking, and there's all these people following him, and then he just turns and starts speaking to them this thing. <laughs> so this whole crowd's following him, and then he turns and he says this to them, and this had to be like, oh, whoa. So he says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. How in the world do you hold that and then look at honor your father and mother? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Unless you hate your mother and father, you have no part in me. Now clearly, and this has been taught before, I'm sure you've heard this, this is a comparison, right? In comparison, Jesus is saying, unless I'm the Lord in your life, which means I call the shots about what you value, what you do, where you go, how you spend your time, how you dress, all the things. Unless I'm God and not these other things, you have no part in me because that's your God. Same thing with money. You can't serve both God and money. That doesn't mean you can't serve God and have money. We all have money in here. It means you can't serve God and money, for you will love the one and hate the other. Unless you hate your mother, father, wife, child, when you look at Jesus and you look at your family and then you say, which is more, who am I going to follow? Who's going to define how I live my life? Unless it's Jesus, we have no part in him. And this, this is a tough word for 21st century American people, especially in southeastern Pennsylvania, because if there's an idolatry, there, there's a number of idols in this land. And one of them is certainly the familial unit in, uh, as far as like people hunker down and they only have community with, with their family and they're unwilling to branch out beyond that and be vulnerable with other people. That's a major stronghold in our land. And so this word has to prophetically come to us today and be allowed to speak to us, that unless we can put all of those cultural things aside and say, actually, the only thing that matters is following Jesus, then we have no part in him. I have a great mom and dad. One of my, I have two great moms, two great dads. One of my moms is here uh, today, um, my mother-in-law. And my parents, my, my physical parents love the Lord, and they were phenomenal parents. They made mistakes, as all parents do, but they were great parents. And um, I, I really did, as I was growing up, I really did my best uh, to try to obey them and honor them all the way. So I never had like a major rebellious season or streak or anything like that. Um, I always attempted to obey them to the best of my ability. And when I was 18, 
Um, I went to Bible college because I sensed a, a, a call into vocational ministry. So what do you do when you feel a call into vocational ministry? You go to Bible college. And so I went down to South Carolina, moved from St. Louis, where my family was, to South Carolina, to Columbia International University. And I was at this small Bible college, um, and it, it was great school, uh, good teaching, love the Lord, uh, great education. I was doing well, did well in my classes, made a ton of friends. Um, but it just wasn't the right fit for me, and I couldn't even explain why. So I'm there, I'm thriving in my classes, I'm making a ton of friends, everything's going well, and it wasn't right. Which is like a weird tension <laughs> when everything's going well and you're like, this isn't the right, this isn't right. And, and I couldn't get to the bottom of it other than I just kept praying. And it felt like, the, if you've ever been to a Bible college, like it's so insulated and so smothering and so, like, everything is within this one tiny little bubble, and, like, you come out for breath, and it's like, yeah, there's so many rules and all, all this stuff. And I just, like, it was killing my soul to be in this tightly bound, packed-in uh, community as an 18-year-old with no space to stretch or question or struggle or any of that. And so um, many of you know Jay McCumber. He was my youth pastor in high school in St. Louis. And Jay McCumber had moved to Pennsylvania and become the lead pastor at Cornerstone uh, Christian Fellowship in Lebanon. And so one day I called up Jay, and I was just expressing to him this tension in me. Like, everything's going well here, but it's just like, I don't feel right. This isn't where God has for me, and I don't know what to do. And so I was asking him what, for just his, his opinion, and immediately, in a very Jay-like manner, if you know Jay, he, he was like, oh, you should move up here and be a part of Cornerstone. Just like that. Like, you should, you should, you should move up here. And, and be a part of our church, and we'll raise you up, we'll, we'll equip you as a, as a local church. And in that conversation, I was like, okay, like, that sounds awesome. I would much rather be equipped by the local church than a Bible college. That sounds way cooler, and that's way more like the Bible. And, and so I, I, um, I started praying about it, and I was getting excited about this idea. And so I called my parents, who, again, the context is that I had always really tried my best to honor them, and obey them. So I called my parents, and I, I spoke with them, and they right away were like, DJ, that, that's, that's probably not a wise decision. Um, you should, we, we really think, we would really encourage you to stay, stick it out, stay where you're at. I'm like, oh, okay. So I submitted to that. I f- and, all right, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to honor your mother and father. Children, obey your parents. This is good. So, so I decided to stay, and, um, but I was still wrestling, still struggling with it, trying to be honest with God. One day, I'm reading my own devotions early in the morning, and I come across this passage in Luke 14, and I'm reading it, and it pierces my heart so deeply, and the Spirit of God says to me in that moment, son, I know that you love your parents and you want to obey them, but you're following me, you're not following them. And I'm calling you to Pennsylvania, of all places. And so I was like, oh, how am I going to have this conversation? How am I going to tell my parents like, that I'm leaving when I still feel a little bit, even though I'm 18, 19 at the time, I still feel like I'm under their authority. And so I really wrestled with that, prayed. I spent time praying and waited a couple days, and it didn't go away. It was still there strong. I talked to one of my professors that I really respected, and he was like, no, you should not leave, like, just very, like, firmly, so I'm like, oh, man, uh, but I called up my parents eventually, and I was like, and my mom answered the phone, 
I said, Mom, this is where I'm at. This is what I sense from the Lord. I, I, I've got to follow him. And she's, she goes, I'll never forget her response. She said, oh, I know. He already told me. <laughs> I, I knew. He, he already told me. And, and we're, we will bless you. And, and, and uh, you go with God. And so ended up uh, moving up to Pennsylvania after, after that year of school and have been here ever since. And that's why I'm here today. Be, be because of that, uh, because of that move, and it's greatly, greatly shaped me. And the, the reason why I tell this story is, in my own life, in my own life, I think, and everyone's got their own stories and their own journeys with their parents and all that. But in, in my own life, that illustrates this tension of how do you treat spiritual authority with weightiness, the weightiness that it deserves, where where you listen to it. And, and you take it seriously, even if it's wrong. You, even if what your, your mom and dad or, or the spiritual authority is saying is wrong, you still don't reject it outright. You listen to it. But then you also have this tension of, but at the end of the day and the beginning of the day, I'm not actually following a person other than Jesus. That's who I'm following. And I think this tension we struggle with so deeply because some of us are prone to just, well, we just submit to authority outright. Whatever they say, we'll listen to it. And that's a little bit sometimes more my tendency. And it's neither a good or bad thing. It's just it. Like if I sense like authority, like I want to listen to it and receive from it. But then there's this other extreme where it's like, well, this is about me and Jesus and no one else. Like this is my walk with him. And so I'm just going to do whatever Jesus tells me to do. And then you have the rogue prophets who are running around and people switching churches and doing all kinds of craziness because they're just doing whatever they want to do. There's got to be a healthy tension in these two things. And I think really that, and why I said if you're going to get one thing out of this morning, get the the honor is weightiness thing, because I think that's where the tension comes to life in a really healthy way when we're dealing with spiritual authority. Now, when it means for us in the church to honor our mother and father, it doesn't just mean our physical moms and dads anymore. Because adopted into the body of Christ for me to honor my mother and father, yes, it means my mom and dad. It also means Jay Deering and Carol Deering and, and others, right, who are, who are moms and dads, mothers and fathers in the faith. And there are many of you who are mothers and fathers in the faith. So that word is not just for me to honor Daryl and Becky Martin. That's for me and you to honor the Spirit of God in His people working through the principle of authority expressed through mothering and fathering. Let me say that again. That was like a... Okay. That's for you and I to obey the Spirit of God working through the people of God expressed through the principle of, of authority in His people among us. Does that make sense? So... When the Word of God comes to us and says, honor your father and your mother, you're not off the hook when you just deal with your mom and dad. You're actually called to that same weightiness in every single spiritual relationship that that you walk in. To honor that. Consider it. It's a weighty thing. For, For those of us who who have a um, have had a I want to make one note before we transition to communion, for those of us who have had a difficult relationship with our parents, 
because not, not every physical parent is worth honoring in the same way. Um, s- some in here were abused by parents. And so this isn't, this isn't submit to that. Um, by no means. We are not to submit to an abusive spirit. God's children are not to submit to an abusive spirit. Um, but one of the dis- most destructive things, and I've said this before, but one of my favorite writers, um, Andrew Murray, is this old devotional writer from a couple hundred years ago. He says, the whole Old Testament can be boiled down to the word holy, and the whole New Testament can be boiled down to the word father. And what all of Scripture testifies at its, like, its core level is that God is a holy father. Now, for those of, us, those of you or us who have had a difficult, more distant, or even abusive relationship with our physical parents, it becomes more difficult, at least initially, to relate to God as dad, as father, because it's through the lens and experience of the physical experience we had with our parents. And I want to address that just for a moment to say that I want to invite you to not see not be limited to how you see God as Father to just how your physical Father treated you here on earth. Don't limit the expression and the overflow of God's love as Dad, as Abba Dad, to just the experience you had with your physical dad. Does that make sense? Because if it's limited to that, you will miss out so much. And even in the best case scenarios, even the best case scenarios, like I have a great dad, But if my understanding of God's love as Father is just limited to how I receive love from my my dad, it's going to be, God is going to be boxed in and put down in such a small way. God's fathering love, even in the best case scenarios, God's fathering love is nothing like our earthly fathers. (laughs) Because my dad went to sleep at night. My dad went away on business trips. And those are good things. He should do those things to be faithful. God does not sleep. God does not go away. God is present in every situation. Perfect, loving, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast loving kindness, merciful. And so as you're working through these principles about what it means to remember to honor mom and dad, the ultimate honoring of of spiritual authority is to go straight to the Lord and honor his authority in our lives and honor the Father's authority in our lives. Praise team, you can uh, rejoin us up here. One of the ways, ready for a smooth transition? One of the ways that we most honor the Father's love is through the cup and the bread. Amen? Amen? as the children of God, when we take the bread and we take the cup, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so in this season of remembering, we take time to remember the sacrifice of our Father, our perfect Father, the sacrifice of His Son, His body broken, His blood shed for us. What we believe here at Parker Ford Church is that we are justified with God through Jesus Christ, and that's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to restored relationship with the Father is through Jesus Christ. And how we take communion here is actually, we're going to do it a little bit different this morning. How they used to do it back in the day, 
and this was Dave's idea, is they used to, I think, take a, a chunk of bread and rip it off and, and, and dip it in, in times past, in Parker Ford Church. We're not going to quite do that, but we are, uh, are going to dip. So what, there's going to be wafers, and instead of having a little cup that you take, um, uh, you're going to take the, the wafer and dip it in the cup um, and, and take it just as a remembrance of our own history and how Parker Ford Church took communion uh, 150 years ago or, or so. So we're going to be doing that this morning. You can come down uh, the center aisles. Uh, they'll be served on either side and then return to your seats um, through the outer aisles and you can come at your own pace whenever you feel led by the Lord as the team leads us in worship. And um, as always, if there's any offense you're holding towards a brother or sister, before you take the bread and the cup, would just ask that you come before the Lord in forgiveness, uh, seeking His forgiveness for that relationship. If you're not a regular uh, attender of Park Ford Church, but you partake of the elements uh, at your home church, you're welcome to join us. We would just ask that um, all who take it have a relationship with the Lord, uh, with Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let's quiet our hearts and just invite uh, the Lord to apply these things to us and go into a place of worship as we uh, wrap up the time in the Word, wrap up our service, and go into a time of worship through the elements. Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for Jesus who is the perfect expression of the Father's perfect love. When, uh, when the disciples say to Jesus, show us the Father, he says to them, you've already seen the Father because you've seen me. You've been with me this whole time. Everything I do, everything I say comes from the Father. So when we, the people of God, look at the Son, Jesus, what, what we see is not just the Son. What we see is the very heartbeat, the very essence of God the Father as well. Father, we thank you for this word about honoring, remembering our moms and dads, about holding those relationships with the weight that they deserve. Father, we pray as a body we'd be able to do that, but uh, with our physical parents, our spiritual parents here in this place, but also most of all, God, with you that we would hold you as our Father, hold that relationship with great weightiness, the weightiness it deserves. Father, we invite you to be the one who leads us into uh, remembering the body and the blood of, shed, uh, of Jesus shed for us. We thank you for your sacrifice. We pray and partake in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.